Well, hello everyone. I, uh, my name is Lon Henderson. Uh, I've been uh, doing inspections, home inspector in Colorado for uh, 23 years. And uh, also teach home inspection at the uh, Boulder School, uh, InterNACHI headquarters in Boulder. So uh, we're going to uh, jump into our uh, presentation here. A uh, couple of things just, you know, we're, uh, you know, I realize everybody's here just to uh, get uh, credits and uh, mostly, but, you know, we we'll try to keep it interesting, hopefully learn a few things along the way, hopefully have a little fun here with it. Uh, decks are definitely a serious thing, um, you know, on that first slide, which hopefully everyone can see. Uh, a couple of things. InterNACHI estimates that there are uh, about 45 million uh, decks and uh, based on statistics available in other places, about 40% of them are considered completely safe. Um, about 90% of deck collapses occur as a result of just pulling away from the house. So the deck ledger, uh, ledger board, the board that attaches the deck to the house comes loose and the deck just pulls away from the house. You know, if the deck's two feet off the ground, not too big a deal, just, you know, a little excitement. When it's 10 feet off the ground, uh, then you can have a different outcome. So for us as home inspectors, if there's any part of a deck inspection you wanna get right, it's that deck, that ledger board attachment to the house. It is the arguably the single biggest deal with uh, decks and our inspection. The uh, uh, just over and over and over. Every time you hear a story about somebody getting badly hurt or uh, killed with something going wrong with the deck, it just every time it's oh the deck came loose from the house. Um, had some in Brazil, was it last year, uh, like 15 people killed or something, a death collapse. And just, um, it, uh, it's, it happens a lot everywhere. And uh, a lot of it, of course, is in the United States. Uh, you can see at the bottom of that slide, uh, Consumer Product Safety Commission estimates that more than 6,000 people are injured each year. Uh, in incidents involving structural failure of a deck. That's crazy, but then it's a country of 330 million people. So I guess it's not too surprising. Uh, regarding the uh, tools at the uh, uh, top of the, uh, uh, whoops, let me back up here. At the top of the um, uh, uh, slide here, you know, um, flashlight, measuring tape, ladder, level, plumb bob, probing tool, hammer. You know, 99% of the time, the only tool I'll use is a probing tool, which is, in my case, my big flathead screwdriver. Um, you know, occasionally you need a flashlight, particularly a deck that's low to the ground, uh, and so it's pretty dark underneath it. And so I'll use a flashlight there, occasionally a measuring tape. I haven't used too many ladders on decks, but you know sometimes you have to get the ladder to particularly a deck that's 
10 feet or more off the ground to get a close look at what's going on with the ladder or some other attachments, maybe the ladder levels, you know, uh, uh, checking for uh, plumb posts or columns or level across the top of the deck. I got to say, I've never used a plumb bob ever. And uh, I don't go uh, tapping on uh, decks with a hammer uh, at all either. Um, the uh, moisture meter uh, magnet calculator that, you know, yeah, maybe. Uh, I've never, uh, never even, I don't think I've even put my moisture meter on a deck. I can conceive of some circumstances where you would, but usually, uh, uh, when you see situations where it's looking wet, you usually have some rot uh, associated with that. And it's the rot that uh, is uh, instantly becomes the biggest concern there in my experience. So, um, so a couple of things here, uh, the, um, about the, um, um, whoops, back up here. Uh, now I keep uh, hitting the wrong thing. So it says inspect from the bottom. The, uh, you know, that's great advice. Obviously, sometimes you're walking across the deck just to get to the bottom. Uh, but um, generally, we start at the bottom and look underneath, check ledger board, check attachments, um, and, you know, columns, you know, look for wood rot, that sort of thing. <sighs> kind of should go without saying, but if you see something horrible there, well, pretty much the inspection's over at that point. You take your photos, document it. Um, that goes in your report. And, you know, that's uh, uh, your, uh, uh, you know, what you're talking about. The, um, this uh, illustration here shows load distribution on a deck. Just, you know, this is something that, you know, in a report you'd never be talking about, or rarely you would talk about, I guess, but it's information that I like to say goes into your well of knowledge, just kind of a fundamental understanding about things that, that we do in general, but in this case, decks, understanding some of the um, dynamics of, of uh, deck, of loads on decks. So, uh, you know, the IRC has tables for decks up to 10 uh, pounds per square foot with uh, 40 uh, pounds per square foot of live load. Um, the, uh, you know, most decks are a little overbuilt, so they tend to hold more than 40 to 60 pounds of load. And uh, the 2021 IRC made some big changes in the deck portion of it. And uh, so that shows snow loads up to well, 70 PSI, uh, PSF. So, uh, give you a rough idea at the bottom of that uh, slide, you can see a 40 PSF uh, live load is equivalent to about a 200 pound person uh, standing on every two and a half by a two foot area of the deck. So that'd be a fairly crowded deck. And, uh, but that's the kind of load that we want a deck to withstand. You know, you know, you got a 20 by uh, 20 deck and you got 10, 12 teenagers out there dancing or something where you want the deck to hold them, even if it's only a foot off the ground. But definitely if it's 
10 feet off the ground. So kind of just having that basic understanding of this, I think, helps kind of round out uh, some of the reasons why we uh, uh, want to why understanding decks and why it's a big deal is important. Obviously, hot tubs uh, can be very heavy, full of water, and uh, you know, framing should uh, support 100 pounds per square foot. Hot tubs distribute that weight over a broad area, so it may not necessarily or rarely actually come to a full 100 pounds per square foot, but again, over-engineered is uh, considered a better, a better deal safety-wise and more important for uh, uh, keeping the whole thing safe. So, you know, in general, one of these things about decks, you get on a deck and if it feels like you're walking on jelly, right off, you're gonna go, hmm, I think we have an issue here. Um, stepping out on a deck, with a hot tub that feels unstable, yeah, you know, definitely going to be pretty critical of what you see with the framing when you get underneath that thing, or hopefully you were underneath it before you even walked on it. So some of the basics here, uh, footings. So as it says, exterior deck footings should be installed at least 12 inches below the uh, you know, basically the undisturbed ground. So many times in construction, you have the uh, soil that was never, uh, you know, disturbed at the construction and maybe you have some loose fill that went on top. Of course, in many cases, uh, it's all loose fill because that's the way uh, they were leveling out the, uh, the pad where the house is. And, you know, for our purposes, we rarely know this stuff. So again, this is one of these things that kind of goes into your uh, well of knowledge of how these things go together. So in general, we would like that uh, footing, uh, concrete pier in this case in our illustration, going to uh, solid undisturbed, uh, sometimes bedrock, but uh, undisturbed soil that is the most um, solid, most likely uh, to stay where it is. But we can't really know if it did that. We're just gonna observe those, is our deck still where it looks like it should have been, where it was when they built it? Is our column still vertical? Or is, is the surface of our deck still level? Or, Maybe they put a little uh, quarter inch per foot of fall on it or something just to drain it a little better or something. But a uh, having a, does it have a good footing on it? The, uh, then this is another one of these things that we're rarely going to be able to actually see if the footing is uh, adhering to the, what we call the seven foot rule which is um, from the base of the footing to where on a, let's say we're on a slope um, and side of a slope. And so they put a pier down to uh, anchor the column that they're putting in. And the base of that column should be uh, no closer than seven feet to the uh, surface of the slope 
of our uh, hillside here. And as you can see in the illustration, we got that seven foot mark going to where it daylights, air quotes here. Uh, now, again, pretty hard for us to know whether it really does that. And, you know, sometimes on a really steep hill here, you're looking at that going, well, did they put a 20 foot pier down here uh, to get that seven foot uh, rule uh, before we get to daylight on the side? You're thinking probably not, but you can't know. So is it working? Is what we see working? Uh, the other thing is our illustration here shows the wood column, wood post being buried in the soil. One thing to keep in mind about pressure treated lumber is not all pressure treated lumber is equal. Uh, there's pressure treated lumber that is rated for ground contact. And as you can see, it says classified UC4A or UC4B. Once again, as a home inspector, pretty hard to know whether they use the correct type of uh, pressure-treated lumber, pressure-treated with preservative uh, lumber for that use. So we're gonna be looking to see if we see evidence that it's just not working, that uh, probe the base here, and we'll get more into probing for rot here in a few minutes. But you know, you probe the base there, is there uh, uh, any evidence of uh, decay, wood rot, wood pests? Uh, any of that th sort of thing. The, uh, the, the thing with uh, also, as you know, just having soil to wood contact is a, uh, a start for getting wood pests, wood rot, all those things started. So even if you, uh, you know, it looks like pressure treated lumber, you, I would still note in the, my report, that I have earth to wood contact. Uh, and uh, this is a condition that should be monitored. Um, you know, my clients just say, you know, you monitor it by, you know, maybe once a year or every other year, you come out here and you just, you know, take a big screwdriver or something and um, stab around the base of the post here and see if uh, you got something uh, developing there that would uh, uh, weaken the post in the column here. The, um, and then, you know, you, I can't say I see this on decks that are more than a few feet off the ground, but certainly see it on decks that are low to the grade, low to grade, where they use these uh, uh, little uh, footers here, buy them at Home Depot, um, and just, they just sit on the surface of the ground, uh, have a four by four uh, post in them. And uh, typically, you know, not going to be allowed, which brings me to something else that, uh, you know, know your area, uh, know what your local city, municipality, county inspectors, that sort of thing, authority having jurisdiction will allow. For instance, certainly here in Colorado, uh, but this is true for many states and, and places, different inspectors and, uh, will allow different things. And, uh, you know, for a deck that is uh, two feet off the ground, 
Some inspectors around here, particularly in some rural areas, may allow this. Uh, but uh, other inspectors, particularly in the big cities, more they're far less likely to allow this. They want these. They want a pier that's in the ground, uh, stable in the ground, and the column uh, secured to that pier so that things just can't easily move around. So here we have an example of a pier that uh, would be in the ground. And then we have uh, a anchor that is uh, secured, bolted uh, into the pier. And then we have our <clears throat> column that sits in that anchor and is secured to that with approved fasteners uh, so that this uh, uh, column can't move side to side, slide around, go anywhere. The, uh, so here is obviously a real life one where we have the column um, that's uh, been drilled into the ground some and augered in. Uh, and, uh, used a, a 12 inch round form here, poured the concrete on it, put their anchor on it. But as you can see, it's not centered on the top of the pier. So this becomes kind of a judgment call for your local uh, inspectors, your city inspectors, your uh, county inspectors or whatever. Uh, certainly um, some will not allow this. They want this column here to be fully bearing on the uh, pier. And by the way, uh, you see the little uh, marks here in the side of the column. That is an indication of pressure treating because they uh, roll these uh, wooden members uh, through a form that uh, makes these indentions here. And then when they uh, uh, pressure treat them with the preservative, uh, they get better penetration of the preservative into the wood through these little indentions here that they have. Uh, so that's a clue if, if you're not completely sure that you're uh, likely looking at a pressure treated wood member. So knowing what your local uh, inspectors allow gives you some guidance on what you uh, conclusion you come to when you see a situation like this where the column isn't fully bearing on the, uh, on the uh, pier underneath. Now, sometimes, uh, and I don't have a photo of this, but I've seen these things hanging halfway off. Pretty rare that you're gonna have a local inspector who's okay with hanging half off the pier. If it's like this one where you got just the corner uh, sticking out over the edge of the uh, pier, yeah, you know, around here, certainly uh, most of the city inspectors will allow that. But know what your local uh, authorities have in jurisdiction allow there for that. And then we have just goofiness where they uh, came in, you know, slid a board on the dirt here, just stuck a two by four in here that's uh, already splitting to boot not even bearing on the uh, uh, board here. So sometimes you look at this and go, well, what are they trying to do? 
Well, in this case, it does look they're trying like they're trying to stabilize this corner here. So hmm, maybe we have an issue here uh, with this not being a, uh, a good assembly, shall we say, and something that we would call out. And by the way, over here on the left, you see out of plumb, that rule of thumb is one inch out of plumb over an eight foot height. So you can you know, do the math on this. If it's a four foot column, half inch out of uh, plumb would be considered uh, unstable or potentially unstable. Uh, a two foot column that's a quarter inch out of plumb uh, would uh, conceivably be uh, considered unstable. So um, the uh, something like this, uh, you know, it's a call out, uh, write that one up. Over here, again, they put a pier in, but then they got this goofy sort of, you know, they nailed a, a two by four to another two by four, and then it broke off at the knot here. And then they added this uh, one by 10 in over here, or two by 10 in over here to, but what are they trying to do? Okay, we got a little bit of a, uh, uh, some sort of girder here, uh, you know, looks like a couple of two by sixes put together, but our bearing wall is right over here. Uh, you know, maybe they're not really, maybe this isn't really doing anything. So you can, you know, sometimes you have a bit of a judgment call on it that maybe this is some sort of supplemental support that, or temporary support that was never really intended to be the final support. And you, uh, you know, make a call on whether it's really something that is contributing to the load bearing of the deck or it's just something that, you know, somebody added for some unknown reason that doesn't really materially uh, contribute to the overall stability and function of the deck. Um, but, uh, you know, if you determine that it is something that is needed, <clears throat> well, then this is a non uh, typical or non-standard column. It's not anchored top or no, it's not anchored at the bottom for sure. And uh, then in that case, you would definitely call it out. So there's cases where you, uh, instances like this <clears throat> where you see something that you know has a do-it-yourselfer look to it or temporary look to it or something. And you know, you got these blocks over here that aren't bearing anything. They were maybe used at time of construction for some purpose, but uh, they're clearly not doing anything. So you don't have anything there. You got debris out here that, uh, you know, might be something that attracts uh, well, termites or uh, wood boring pests. So you might have a call out about something connected with that. But as far as the column itself, um, determining if you think it's actually got some useful function or not is a uh, goes toward deciding if it's something that's a defect that uh, needs to be remedied or it's just an observation. So IRC doesn't say a whole lot about post sizing, but just in general, and you, you've probably seen it, you know, if you got a 10 foot four by four uh, column or post, They'll often warp, twist, uh, sometimes split badly too, uh, even if they are treated lumber. And, uh, you know, and obviously if their ends are below grade or uh, they can, uh, you know, particularly if they're splitting, they can split 
and open up the heart of the uh, column. And now, uh, wood rot, termites even, uh, wood boring pests can get into that wood and bypass the preservative that is uh, you know, maybe even a quarter inch thick on the exterior of the uh, board, if it, depending on the uh, quality and level of pressure treating on it. So uh, deck posts should be uh, basically six by six uh, posts uh, or columns. Uh, you know, again, it's uh, depending on what, how your local uh, city inspectors are interpreting this, but you know, generally you get about four feet. We want to see six by sixes, and it can be no higher than 12 feet or 14 feet is generally acceptable if they're cross brace. And then the American Wood Council in their uh, uh, debt prescriptions say six by six, period, any size deck or any height deck. Uh, regardless, you know, it's sitting two feet off the ground or uh, 10 feet off the ground, or in this case, 14 feet off the ground. And they don't even care if you come in with a really big uh, uh, post, like an eight by eight, they still say maximum height, 14 feet. So if you're, in, you know, my observations and experience is pretty unusual to run in the decks that are, uh, uh, being supported just straight up more than 14 feet off the ground but uh you know then it falls into was it permitted did the uh, local ins city inspectors sign off on this and in some cases they'll want to see steel columns out here or something if it's over 14 feet the um um so now Hi, Lon. yes can i interrupt you real fast Sure, can. I've got two questions I'd like to make sure we're addressed. Um, the first one from Martin Betts is how deep do the piers need to be? Well, again, uh, it kind of depends on where your solid soil is, but typically at least 12 inches below grade, but typically 12 inches into that stable soil or, or two bedrock. So it, it depends on the situation on what you're looking at. If you got uh, five feet of loose fill down to stable soil, eh, you know, engineer, uh, if this is a permitted deck, the engineer may well say, you know what, I want to drill down to the stable soil or the bedrock down there, mm -hmm. particularly for a really big deck. So it's, uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's individual, so to speak. Okay. Another question. If the pier footing is below grade area, are we required to dig down to see depth? No, you are not. No. Great question. No. And I believe uh, that's... You know, look, sometimes I'll take my, you know, my big screwdriver that's what is it, eight, nine inches of shank on it and stab it into the soil next to a pier just to see if it's at least that long down the side of it. Because uh, I may have a suspicion that they didn't really put a good footer under this uh, column. And uh, I'll do this with suspicious foundations, too, for that matter. And uh, stick that uh, big screwdriver down the side of it to see if it's at least that deep. But no, you are not required to uh, dig down at all. So then someone is then asking, if you're not required to dig, is there any sort of... Um 
standard procedure to assume, to confirm that there's 12 inches solid down there? There's nothing to confirm it. So then we get, so now we do get into assumption. And so it's based on what do we see going on with our deck? You know, look, if it's a 10 uh, year old deck and it's, you know, columns are vertical, they're, they're plumb, uh, no evidence of uh, settling, you know, you kind of go, hey, it's working and call it good and uh, go to what the next thing you're looking for on that deck. But yeah, that's a great question also. But uh, yeah, there's no really good way for us to confirm the uh, footings, the piers, uh, how they're constructed um, without just actually digging them up. Okay. And then the last question for this particular part of the presentation is what deck height is acceptable on a, on a four by four in your opinion? I wouldn't go above four feet. Yeah. You wouldn't yeah. do it? In the old days, sure. Heck, in fact, if I turn the camera and out my window here, you would see my 10-foot deck has four-by-four four posts. But that was done 20-something years ago, and uh, it was allowed then. It's worked great. My deck is nice and stable, but under today's guidelines, we would never, ever do that. Okay, so no four-by-fours. No four-by-fours, normally. And if you follow the American Wood Council's recommendation, you only you start with a six by six, period. That's that's the post or column you stick with. You start with, and so you start with a pressure treated six by six column. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, answering those questions. Yeah. Hopefully that uh, yeah, makes sense. So uh, moving on to wood rock. So we're talking about the probes. So, you know, look, the most common form of decay is obviously wood rot, which is typically fungus or fungi growing in the wood. So, you know, as you guys no doubt know, um, the only part of the uh, fungus that you ever see on the surface of ground, wood, whatever, is the sporing body of it and hiding underneath that is a um, is a, uh, a the, what we call the mycelium, which is kind of think of like roots of the uh, fungus, and that mycelium uh, spreads through wood, and it's uh, eating the cellulose. And I'm oversimplifying this, obviously, but it's eating the cellulose of the wood, which weakens the wood, and uh, over time can weaken it enough that now things start to break, fail, lose uh, integrity, structural integrity. And so one of the things, we definitely can see some visual clues to that, which we'll get to in a moment, but uh, something you can do, a couple of things you can do, tap with a hammer if you wanna do that. And you know, solid wood has a ding to it and rotted wood has a thud to it typically. Personally, I like next to never do that. I like using a probe. And, uh, you know, so far in 23 years of doing this, poking holes in a lot of rotted wood, I've never had anyone call me up and go, 
you poked a hole in my rotted wood. So, uh, and if I ever get that call, I'll say, yeah, I found some rotted wood, it needs to be fixed. But I uh, take my big screwdriver and, you know, stab suspicious places and sometimes some places that I'm just not sure of, you know, just uh, hitting them, not hard enough to try to drive it into solid wood, but certainly firm enough that if it's uh, rotted, I mean, I'm going to easily dig that uh, into that big flathead screwdriver into it. So here in our illustrations, we see uh, a couple of, you know, it shows it's splitting it there, but he's, he's kind of using it a different type of probe. And uh, I'm, I never stabbed with a probe and split the wood like that. So I'm not big, <clears throat> personally, I'm not a big fan of this individual illustration here. If I was uh, making this illustration, we'd see more of the probe just making a tiny little dent in the solid wood. And then when it goes into rotted wood, it just sticks into it. Our illustration here on the right, where we probe around the uh, base of uh, a, you know, any wood that's down in the dirt kind of thing, you stab along there and just see if it's solid. Uh, and if you, know, you find some wood rot or uh, pest invasion, uh, you know, your probe, in my case, screwdriver typically buries up in it. The, uh, here you go, there's my screwdriver. And so this is obviously a wood plank. Uh, it's been finished with, uh, you know, maybe paint, but I think it was a, a deck finishing material. Had several layers of it, apparently, because you can see where one layer is peeled off. But interestingly about this is it's really common to get wood rot on these end boards because that where the screws go in or nails go in, it kind of looks like a drywall screw right there, doesn't it? Which would not be uh, allowed, but that's a separate conversation for later. Uh, and then they have a nail gun nail here because you can see the little indention on it from the clip on the nail gun. So um, is that an approved nail? Yeah, probably so, because uh, it didn't rust, it's not rusting. So chances are, it uh, was galvanized or something. But these create openings in the surface of the plank and makes a great place for water to catch in there and then for uh, uh, fungus to get started growing and start rotting out that end there. So this is a very common uh, little area of wood rot that we see over and over. Uh, and then looking down here onto the joist, see that little white there? High likelihood that's the sporing bodies of uh, some uh, fungus that's in the uh, uh, joist underneath there. So another example here, you can see how this um, cross piece here, it's got that little warping there that's sort of almost like a roll in the surface of it. That's a, you know, ding, 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 a clue that maybe we're looking at uh, some wood rot there. Sure enough, my screwdriver just disappears into that board, like pushing it into styrofoam. So that, but the clue that I was going to see that was that roll in the surface of the uh, board here that, Hey, it didn't come out of the mill that way. So 
that the wood rot underneath there has swollen that up. New paint's hiding a lot of stuff here. We'll have more conversations about attachments, but uh, that one probably is not going to be an approved attachment either. And then look down here. We have some mushrooms sticking out on the bottom. So this our ledger board here now is um, uh, right there. Now we have some mushrooms sticking out here. You start putting these uh, two clues together and uh, it doesn't take, uh, it's a short uh, run to, oh, we got a rotted ledger board here. Uh, mail pop there and stuff. So some other, uh, more discussions about mailing things in a minute. Um, so back to that little point that we saw in the earlier uh, slide. So early stage wood rot, this is very common where just have that it almost look like somebody kind of splashed some sort of goofy paint on there or something. And if you probe this, it's often pretty solid. It's not, uh, it's not, uh, you know, uh, uh, like styrofoam at all here, but that white is telling us we have fungus growing in there. This is starting to, uh, these are the sporing bodies on the surface of the wood over here. That green is almost certainly algae. Algae uh, is eh, not, not really considered destructive to wood, but uh, it does tell us that the wood's wet enough that um, it can promote algae growing on it. And now we see the white here again, which is the sporing bodies of wood rot, mold or fungus growing inside these uh, uh, planks, in this case, the uh, uh, walking planks on the surface of the deck. Uh, so, and again, stab, hit this with a probe, not much happens, you know, it's, it's not rotted out. So while this deck isn't structurally failing yet, clearly uh, the fuse on this time bomb is burning, clock is ticking, whatever analogy you want to use. So here again, another example showing these sporing bodies growing and, uh, you know, for the purposes of uh, a photograph and a report, you know, pointing them out and labeling it, uh, saying here, hey, here's what, we, what I'm seeing, here's my concern that uh, this deck's got rot in it and it's going to uh, conceivably fail soon. You know, most of New York typically has higher humidities than I see in Colorado. So this process for you guys may well move quicker than I typically see it in Colorado. So for what we see in this photograph here, I would see a deck go from this to complete failure in five to six years. Uh, that clock may be much shorter for you guys since you tend to have a higher humidity than we see here in Colorado. So having some familiarity with uh, this sort of thing, uh, you know, whether you talk to, if you, if you haven't already, you know, seen in your own experience what it is, uh, you know, talk to some uh, contractors who work with this and, and get some feel from them on it too, um, on how that works. So here again, got the sporing bodies, got a little algae growing 
uh, in there too on that. You know, we talked about earlier moisture meter. You know, yeah, if I put a moisture meter on this or the uh, previous slide or the uh, this one right here, you know, man, I'm gonna pin the moisture meter, but I don't even have to do that. I already have my issues with what I can see here with the uh, fungus growing in it. So I don't need to you know, put a moisture meter on it, but you can do that if you like, uh, just for you know, I don't know, extra information, your own information or whatever. So here we're seeing it moving down the uh, uh, truss, uh, the joists in this case. And, uh, you know, I uh, don't know that I have a photograph of me stabbing this one, but chances don't, I don't even have to stick my probe into this particular board to go, okay, now we got some wood rot that has moved considerably past our earlier slides. And we're in mid-stage rot here. Now it's time to uh, start getting the bids for uh, uh, doing some repairs on these decks. And by the way, depending on how the deck's put together, but frequently, um, you know, if you just got a couple of uh, rotted uh, boards like this, rotted joists, a uh, guy can come in, a deck guy, a contractor can come in and get these out and slide in uh, some uh, new ones without tearing the whole deck off. Ledger board replacement, different story. Our earlier uh, slide with the ledger board showing rot. Uh, yeah, rotted ledger board, that's a big problem. Uh, that is nearly always a tear off in a big job. So here you go. So now from that white looking like splashed on paint sort of thing, now we see what it turns into after a couple of years. That, is white, that white thin uh, sporing body now has depth to it and texture to it as now they're starting to grow uh, thicker and become more recognizable as sort of that traditional wood rot look. And so here, this is the kind of thing, you hit that with your probe and almost certainly you're gonna go in to the wood in these uh, uh, thicker, nastier little areas here. Uh, so certainly that's old paint hanging down here. Somebody painted it in the past and paint's peeling off. So that's you know, just a cosmetic observation. Here's our concern with the uh, wood rot here telling us once again, uh, yeah, the end is in sight now. Um, here you go. So again, similar to what we just saw in the previous slide, and you can see how easily my screwdriver just disappears into that uh, wood member there. If I stabbed it down here, same effect. Uh, this is, uh, you know, time, time for some uh, repair here. Back on top, we see now from our first slide where we just had a little end damage on the uh, butt ends, butt joints of these uh, uh, planks. Now we see it's spreading through the plank and uh, literally uh, arguably unsafe that if you somehow put your full weight on this, this area here, it might, just might go through. And so once again, now we're going to be uh, riding up extensive wood rot 
in the surface of the deck or in the deck planking and repair is needed. Of course, when you got vegetables trying to grow, that's also a big clue that uh, maybe we got a problem here. Um, vegetables. Uh, here you go from the underside. Um, kind of interesting here. They added some plywood support through here or something. And you can see we got extensive wood rot uh, throughout this area here. Uh, you can see the underside of the synthetic planking here. Uh, but did something here. You know, this piece of plywood here in itself might not be such a big deal, but it's spread into the joist. And so, you know, that's going to be a call out for us that we have wood rot in the framing of our uh, deck and uh, we need uh, repair. Uh, this is a little, little different version on the uh, sporing bodies. You see how they're following the grain of the wood there, how the mycelium has followed the grain and now when it hits the surface, it sends out the sporing bodies on the surface of the wood here. And then it's all up through the joist because we can see it surfacing out in here too. Those are those clues, wood rot, got a problem. Let's write it up. And then of course- John, I've, I've got yeah. some questions that uh, might be good to interject right here. Um, there's two that are kind of related. The first one is, do you comment on painted decks? Or, and then the second related question is, does paint promote rot? Wow, great. You know, uh, I don't particularly comment on painted decks unless the paint is peeling uh, in bad condition or poor condition. And I definitely make a comment on that. But if the paint is in good condition, then, you know, don't really uh, say much about it. Uh, you know, I think it could be, you know, there's, there's two arguments on the painting. Oh, paint protects the deck, but also paint can trap moisture in the deck. Uh, the paint, the, clearly the permeability of paint is far lower or uh, uh, far lower than wood. So it's just simply not going to breathe easily. So it can definitely trap moisture in the wood. And so unless that uh, wood, uh, the planking, the framing, everything is, I mean, completely sealed with a uh, good coat of paint, Water's going to get in there, get trapped. So I do see uh, right. a lot of wood rot associated with painted decks. All right, thank you. Sorry about that. My dog went after the cat. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I'm going to save the question about peer to column post for a little later, Tamara. Um, what do what do you call it when you write this up in your report? Do you call it organic growth? Do you call it fungus? Do you call it fruiting bodies? I, I call this wood rot. Uh, it's you know when we get into things like black mold, we typically call that you know mold-like substance. Some guys will call it an organic substance, uh, something like that. But for this. I see a mushroom there, no confusion. I see the, uh, that early uh, uh, sporing bodies that almost might splash on there. I'm calling it out as wood rot. On a debt anywhere, when you have wood, actual rot, um, 
that is affecting the structure or, or ultimately affecting the structural integrity of the uh, place. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm calling it out as wood rot. Uh, so no, I'm not sort of using some of the, uh, you know, less, uh, uh, less strong, I guess, terms like, oh, we have organic growth, uh, uh, visible or you know, yellow, vis yellow organic growth protruding from the side of the joints. I don't say that. I say mushrooms growing out of the uh, framing indicates wood rot, which will or is weakening the framing or the joists or whatever I'm looking you know, looking at or describing. So uh, I treat it like it's a big deal. If that right. helps. Thank, thank you very much. Yeah. No more questions. Yeah. yeah no, that's that's those are great questions. So, and like here, look, mushrooms, that's a no-brainer. <laughs> mushrooms don't grow, you know, on, they don't grow on the surface of just stuff they can't eat. So, uh, you see mushrooms growing there, it's already deeply invaded this. Uh, you know, you can probe, but you don't really need to. You've seen all you need to here. This is a big call out here. Uh, write that up. You got mushrooms sticking out. Here, ditto, mushrooms sticking out. Actually, this is a more of a blow up of that earlier photograph where we had my probe up here in the corner. Uh, got mushrooms sticking out. That's, that's fungus, that's fungal rot, however you want to put it. Uh, you know, you see mushrooms, it's a no brainer. Call it out. Here, uh, kind of, I've mentioned it earlier, but here we see some lichen or fungus uh, on the surface of um, wood or, uh, or algae, I mean, lichen and algae on the surface of the wood. And then you see the white veins running there. That is the fungal bodies or the sporing bodies of fungus uh, growing through there. So as mentioned earlier, I said it about algae isn't particularly destructive, lichen's not particularly destructive either, but algae and lichen uh, indicate that we have high moisture content, which indicates that this is gonna be a great place for fungus to grow and high likelihood that fungus will be there associated with lichen or algae, even though lichen and algae themselves, um, that intrusive or destructive. And so the, uh, the green being the clue that it's algae and then lichen can be multiple colors, you know, orange, yellow, red, you see different colors of lichen. And, uh, uh, but those, that green is your first clue. Oh, I may find some uh, wood rot here if I start, you know, probing or just looking closer and sure enough, we see it here where it's uh, getting started. Uh, any last questions on, on the fungus stuff before I move on to the next part here? We don't have any more unless anyone wants to type it up in the Q&A box right now. I'll be watching for it. Um, we did have one question related to um, the size of the pier compared to column post, because you did say that you could use six by six or eight by eights even. 
Yeah, great point. Uh, you know, uh, there's, uh, you know, there's not some exact prescriptions for doing that, but typically the entire base of the column should be supported on the pier. So a six by six uh, uh, a column is almost certainly going to be on a uh, pier that's at least 12 inches across on it. Uh, for uh, to fully bear on that uh, on that column, so you know you wouldn't have a uh, like you know post hole digger digs about a you know five inch uh, uh, you know hole straight down. Well, that ain't going to cut it for a six by six uh, column, and barely cuts it for a before, but arguably wouldn't even cut it for a four by four, but definitely not a. Uh, a six by six column, which of course is five and a half by five and a half, but still uh, is not going to cut it for that. Okay, thank you. That uh, let's see. Um, last question here then for the base of the. I think he means column. Can can you use the new foam or does it have to be concrete? Oh. I have never seen anybody using structural foam, uh, foam for that. Uh, that's a great question. Wow. Uh, arguably, you could use, uh, man, oh man, you know, you come in with some 15 or 20 pound foam. Yeah, yeah that's pretty good stuff. Arguably, that could work. I would say you'd have to uh, get the okay from your local uh, uh, inspector on whether that's something they would allow. Uh, one thing about foam, it typically does not like being exposed to uh, sunlight and the uh, elements. It's the uh, kind of thing that uh, does best, holds up best when it's not exposed to UV and, uh, and uh, the air. So uh, there may be some limitations with using it for that. So uh, uh, that's a great question. Man, I always love doing this. Somebody always has a great question. Uh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure what the, the, you know, yeah, I would talk to the, the my local uh, inspector, you know, hey, what if I uh, use- And you mean code inspector when you say that? Yeah, code inspector, exactly, you know, so, you know, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, uh, yeah, that's a good one. I don't, I can't think of anything in the IRC that addresses that. That's a good one. Okay, well, we'll see if we can get more information on foam versus concrete, but for now, that is all the questions. Cool. So, uh, kind of moving on to uh, the next section here. And, um, you know, uh, by the way, at the bottom of the hour here, we'll take a break. But uh, the, uh, so, you know, we have a low to grade uh, deck here. Uh, you know, 12 inches minimum space there to have good air movement through there. No possibility of soil contact with the girders or the beams or anything. In the real world, you guys see it too. They're, they're literally sitting in the dirt. Well, sitting in the dirt is wrong. So you've got uh, the, you know, beams sitting in the dirt. That's a, it's a call out. Now, yeah, it's, as you guys know, so much of this stuff, nobody's gonna do anything about it. That's not our concern. We're still gonna take our photos, say, we don't want this earth to wood contact here. But 12 inches, 
uh, clearance is uh, a, you know, kind of the minimum standard. Um, the uh, if I see it, you know, three inches, I'm not going. Oh, this is you know, not twelve inches. This needs to be fixed. I never say that. I just look. Do I see a problem here? Uh, is this something going on uh, that uh, this is causing a problem? Having the poor clearance, and if I don't see it, I just move on. Um, the in this illustration, so it shows a column down in the soil. You know, I see a lot of that where our wood columns are buried in the soil, and um, yeah, I probe them. Sometimes even dig, you know, an inch or two down with my into my screwdriver, and I only mean an inch or two just to see if I got some wood rot going there. In addition to just probing it. But, um, and I'll sometimes stab my uh, 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 probe down, my screwdriver down here, just to see if the pier is just hiding right under the surface here. Um, I don't like to see columns sitting in the dirt, even if they are pressure treated. Um, that's just begging for trouble to start. And certainly around here, and I bet it's going to be true for most of the areas where you guys are, your local uh, city inspectors, code inspectors, they're not going to want to see this. They want to see the surface of that pier up here, like at least an inch above the grade and uh, the column sitting on top of that above the dirt where there's just no uh, or less opportunity for uh, uh, moisture from the soil to get whipped right into the wood and for uh, obviously uh, makes it a little more difficult for woodborne insects and pests to start digging into that uh, wood there. So, so a couple of things. Uh, one thing, the 2021 uh, uh, IRC, one of the big changes was notching posts. And under no circumstances can a four by four column be notched any longer in the 2021 uh, IRC. Guys, you, you, you all know, uh, guys and gals, you all know we're not uh, code inspectors, but obviously so much of what we do overlaps with what code is. So at least having some knowledge of, uh, you know, what code is going, uh, is saying, particularly with big things, is uh, something that is just part of what we do, even if we don't directly reference code. So for uh, DEX uh, 2021 and forward, assuming that your municipality, your location adopted the uh, 2021 IRC as soon as it came out, um, the, uh, then you're not going to, and anything being built new, you're not going to see or want to see a notched four by four, uh, column. However, six by sixes can be notched. So, uh, another reason to have six by six columns instead of four by fours is, uh, gives you a bigger column and more flexibility uh, the builder more flexibility in um, uh, supporting the uh, beams, girders, or whatever on there. So on our left here, we show uh, 
theme that's just bolted into a column. So the load bearing, which is also a, a big thing in the 2021 IRC uh, deck change, we want that load to be bearing straight through our column. When we when these are bolted through on the side like this, now it's relying on the shear strength of that lag or bolt through there to support the deck up here. And so really, it doesn't hardly matter what our column is. It matters how strong our lags are here and how well our wood uh, beam here is uh, stable on the end. Is it going to split out or something? This is something that even in the past was poor practice and after 2021, strictly not allowed. Um, the, uh, I see this on older decks constantly and it's just, is it working or not? If it is, you know, I'll write it up as uh, uh, a uh, not, not constructed the best practice uh, but functioning, um, you know, sometimes depending on exactly what it is, I like the term performing, but not conforming, uh, the, uh, so, you know, things like that with text, we, we actually say a lot, uh, over here, we have our six by six, uh, column notched to, uh, bear the, uh, to take the, uh, uh beam in and then lagged in or bolted through with uh, half inch bolts with washers. And um, so this would be like, let's say a two by eight or two by 10 beam here, depending on the size of the deck, probably two by 10 uh, minimum uh, for most decks. Um, and um, uh, bearing here on the notch. So our load goes straight through the column here. So this is the kind of thing that now going forward with the uh, code changes on newer decks we're looking at, this is something we'll be looking for to make sure they did this correctly. And over here in our actual photograph, and by the way, this is a deck that was built this year. Beautiful. They did it like they were supposed to here. Um, they, and now instead of using bolts, they use approved brackets to secure our uh, uh, beam here, or, or rim joist in this case, our rim joist into the uh, uh, six by six column here. And this was a permitted deck, by the way. Uh, so this is, so instead of the bolts, we're still using brackets approved and securing this together. So this is a nice, we put together with our load going straight through the column. A nice job here on that uh, column and uh, rim joist there. Here, not so good. Several things wrong. First of all, back to what we were talking about, we're relying on the sheer strength of these uh, bolts here. Then they countersunk them, so they're not even uh, using the full uh, uh, thickness of our uh, joist here for uh, uh, support. So countersunk, holding, uh, bearing the, the uh, shear strength, and you can see how our load has to go through our bolt, then get to the column and go through. It's offset under the new guidelines. They don't want to see that. They want that load to go straight through. 
So in this case, um, they should have, uh, well, they should have sandwiched this in to the corner here, bolting through on all sides and uh, getting their uh, uh, load bearing distributed over more uh, steel, so to speak, and never countersinking their uh, lags or bolts into this. So uh, this was never a best practice and wouldn't be allowed under today's code. So um, again, sitting on top is ideal. Uh, and then in this case, uh, or on our, uh, our diagram uh, illustration on the right here. So we have uh, joists or beams that are break, breaking in between our supports here. And of course, the illustration doesn't really show properly supporting the supports, but that's not the part we're looking at here. This is the part we're looking at here. Most of the time, we want our columns underneath this uh, break here or this uh, where we are overlapping these together. However, understand that uh, if the overlap is broad enough here, it can still be allowed, but that typically takes an engineer to uh, prescribe that overlap as uh, and the amount of uh, fasteners and the type of fastener putting it together so that the, the overlap, if the overlap is not going to be bearing directly on a column there. So butt joints, as it says, typically must be bearing on posts. But they can be engineered to do this out in space. But uh, so for us as inspectors, you know, how do we know it was done with an engineer? Well, first of all, you can nearly bet it wasn't. So because uh, that's just not the way decks are typically put together. So now it's is it working? If we see this, you know, starting to uh, displace through here, getting some uh, uh, you know pivoting, pivoting, pivoting on these uh, uh, fasteners through here, bolts, whatever they used here, and we're going, well, oh, maybe it's not working. If it looks nice and secure, our joint here is nice and straight, hasn't uh, started turning into this kind of a V-notch there or anything, and it's ditto for the one on the outside, if we can see them both. And we go, okay, it's working, you know, nothing to see here, move on. Uh, so it's a little bit of a judgment call, you can make a comment, as I said earlier, about and eh, not being a best practice, uh, but it's working or performing, but not conforming. But, uh, um, you know, it's part of our assessment is, does it look like it's doing its job? If it was a brand new construction, uh, I'd be far more critical of it. If I'm looking at something that's five plus years old, now I'm going, okay, it's working. Uh, I'm going to make a comment that uh, wasn't the best practice or doesn't appear to be a best practice, but it's still performing. And, you know, the notching stuff is kind of typical for uh, other things and, uh, you know, that you see in, in uh, framing members uh, inside the house. Those rules, nearly all those rules there apply to decks, you know, uh, among uh, and you know, keep in mind when it talks about tension and compression faces, tension is the top of the joist and compression is the bottom of the joist. Um, notches are not permitted in the middle third of the spans. 
because that can break that tension uh, line across the top and weaken the uh, um, um, joist. And then, uh, uh, and then, of course, other what it says here: notches are not permitted in the middle third of spans or on the tension face of members that are greater than three and a half inches thick. So, um, giving you uh, some diagrams there on that. You know, in general, um, if you see notches anywhere out in the middle third. Uh, you know, it better be a pretty shallow notch, but typically you're just going to call out notches in general. Um, again, a little more about notches here, another diagram. Uh, the, uh, so, end notches are really popular, generally speaking, because they're trying to fit it uh, onto a, uh, a joist, or, or I mean the beam, or the uh, or something that they're supporting out on the edge, uh, something like that. Notches there typically don't uh, contribute to the overall weakness of the joist. So not in joists, in notches rarely uh, give us concerns unless they're really deep. Uh, so they typically should not be more than a quarter of the, the depth of our, uh, you know, like two by six. We'd be talking, you know, no more than an inch and a half deep on that notch, for instance. And once again, no notches in the middle third. Um, and then I love this one here because you see this one violated. No holes within two inches of the top or bottom edge. Um, so, you know, you'll see holes drilled along the edge to run some wiring through there or you know, maybe they ran a water line through to stick a water bib out on the edge of the deck or something. And those holes should be in the middle of the joist and not within two inches of the top or bottom. The, um, so, and this goes true for our lags uh, or, or attachments, particularly for ledger boards, where they should not be within two inches of the edge. Man, see that one violated a lot. Uh, once again, for my way I do it, I call that out is, you know, um, a, uh, again, a, uh, a not a best practice lags too close to the edge of the ledger board, um, ledger board, uh, is working, but not put together the way it was supposed to be. So prior to 2021, uh, you see here, the old rule of thumb roughly was on center spacing of ledger fasteners in inches, you know, 100 divided by joist length in feet. So, you know, let's say we have a 12 foot joist block, divide that into a hundred. We, we need eight and a half, uh, eight one I'm sorry, eight one half inch lag screws or bolts in that 12 inch uh, it says joist but uh, ledger more aptly um, and typically we stagger them instead of putting them in a straight line which is not considered best practice either but 
under the new 2021 IRC, they literally give us a graph, a table there that uh, tells us now how to exactly do this. It's kind of interesting. Look at this. For half-inch lag screws, it's a different number or a spacing distance than it is bolts. So for instance, assuming our 40 PSF live load on our example here, we have a 10 foot long, calling it a joist, but you know, we're talking about something like a ledger board really. Um, the, uh, we would put, have them 18 inches on center. Uh, so 18 inches apart, basically, if it's the screw, but if it's the bolt, you can go out to 34 inches. Once again, for us, we often don't know whether we're looking at uh, the ends of screws or lags. And I don't know, uh, I, hopefully you can see me on the screen. I got, you know, a, a lag and a bolt here. Uh, Kayla, can you see this? Uh, Kayla's not here right now. So I'll uh, find out here in a minute. But, uh, you know, when you look at the ends, there's not really a big difference there. The, um, so for our purposes, what do we think? You know, if I see them 34 inches apart, I'm gonna think, wow, uh, that's uh, quite a bit there. I'm wondering if uh, this was really done right. Uh, you know, I might say, yeah, we need a contractor to, uh, double check this and make sure it was done right. Because that is a long ways apart. Not certainly not normally what we used to see for that. Uh, here's a uh, lag or bolt too close to the edge. Uh, but yeah, overall, we're looking pretty good here. We got it flashed into the wall. Uh, our, our, they used uh, nails on their uh, joist hangers here. They're not... Uh, little rust on them, but they're not uh, uh, failing, they're not popping, uh, you know, looking, and they attached it directly to the framing or at least the sheathing underneath. Um, got a little gap there on that one that, uh, you know, uh, you know, we might, uh, if we're being hypercritical, we could comment on the joist isn't sitting in the bottom of the joist hangers, uh, you know, they typically shim that as a um, easy fix with steel shims, uh, but uh, not really a whole lot to really get too excited about on our installation here, even though they have this closer than two inches to the edge. So I'm gonna make a comment that it's uh, you know, not the best practice, the uh, ledger board attachments are uh, uh, too close to the edge, but uh, it's, it's working. Here, a little much better here. We're about uh, almost exactly two inches from the edge. Uh, they got the washers on. Uh, so we're uh, looking pretty good here. It's not sitting on top of the siding. So it's looking pretty good. Over here, we have a different uh, attachment. So, you know, the prescriptions in the IRC are for half inch lags and screws, but then they have a provision that talks about um, uh, uh, attachment uh, fasteners that are um, a 
approved by the manufacturer. And so here we see one, I think this is a strong tie. I can't remember for sure. Uh, and you see the little uh, embossments on the end here uh, indicating that it's a, uh, uh, you know, not just a, a regular, some kind of quarter inch uh, screw or something. They did break the surface of the uh, ledger in the, or the wood in this case on the ledger board. They broke the surface with it, which eh, not supposed to do that. It's supposed to be just sitting flush on the surface. So now it's a little bit embedded in the wood. Um, you know, if I only see that on a couple, I'm not going to get too excited. If they did it on all of them, I'm probably going to be a little more critical and make a comment that um, they uh, over uh, tightened the uh, attachments, breaking the surface of the wood. Uh, and, you know, if it looks like it's still secured and working, I'll probably say that, but not a best practice to break through on it. Here's another one that's, uh, you know, more, you know, it's, it's, they can't be countersunk. And while this is not a true, this isn't a countersunk either, it's just screwed in way too tight and broke through the surface here and really just buried up. You can't do that. It must be flush on the surface. Again, just one or two on a ledger. <clears throat> I'm not too excited about it, but if it's all of them, again, going to be more critical of that. And then here, wow, you know, uh, almost, but not quite. The nuts have to be fully threaded on the ends of these uh, uh, bolts sticking through. So they put some bolts in, they're the right size, they're half inch, that's all good and promising. Um, but uh, Oops, they didn't have enough of the bolts sticking through to fully thread the uh, nut on. So, and this was every single uh, uh, attachment on this ledger. So yeah, I'm writing that one up. Like, uh, you know, we not right. We need to figure something out here. Uh, get a contractor out to figure something out. But the uh, potential of these conceivably working loose is, uh, you know, I don't know, but could be high, not sure. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, this was a case where it's hard to tell exactly the age of the uh, deck and the ledger, but it looked like it was four or five years old. So it wasn't uh, coming right off. Although this one here looked like maybe it was backing off a little bit. Um, so, uh, and yeah, you know, reach up and grab this, yeah, okay, it didn't feel loose, but um, sure looked like it might not have been as tight as it was originally. So call it, writing this one up is a uh, bigger deal and needing uh, some sort of correction on it. Then, um, I see this one violated so often, it's almost like, you know, automatic. They put the ledger board on top of siding. Uh, you know, in this case, vinyl siding, for goodness sakes. Over here, it's composite siding. So, and yeah, I got a little, uh, the uh, lag is a little countersunk into the uh, wood there, which is a different issue. But the big issue is <laughs> it can't be on top of siding. Uh, definitely not. Uh, oh, let me read. 
come back to this one on the right here. It's not on top of that they were smart here. They didn't attach this through to the final siding. They put it up against the house, but instead of attaching it directly here, they have a, the ledger board supported on this column. Now, this was done quite a few years ago before the 2021 change, um, but nevertheless, they don't have it bearing correctly uh, on this column. So you can see one's just almost a drywall screw there. And, uh, and on the between here, uh, it, I couldn't see anything. So I'm thinking they probably drywall screwed the ledger board onto this and then pushed it up against the house. So, so I, I, my problem here isn't with they attached the ledger board to this uh, over the top of the vinyl siding to the house. My problem here is um, this is not good attachment for our load going straight through uh, bearing on the column. We're relying on the shear strength of a drywall screw uh, and maybe some a couple here too, which isn't going to be good. So this one is not a good practice. Now it's only two feet off the ground. So uh, at least it's not a huge safety issue, but still wrong, still calling out this, but not worried about uh, being attached to the house over the top of the vinyl siding. However, on our left photo, different story, not vinyl, it's composite, but it's attached on top of the composite. You can't do that. Uh, and so that is going to be the call out, even though the deck is not failing, it's still something I'm going to call out. It is not a best practice, not put together. And I don't use the code word in my reports, but uh, this is a code violation. Um, I'm gonna say it's not built to uh, industry practices or standards best practice, any of those terms, and uh, the, uh, uh, because it's on top of the siding. The, um, well, let's go. Well, this one's interesting too, because now we have stucco here. And so not only do they have the ledger on top of the stucco, which is again wrong, now we have a cantilever here uh, for, in this case, uh, I think it was a fireplace. But um, <clears throat> gas fireplace, so it wasn't a masonry fireplace with a lot of uh, weight on it, but still. Then they attach the ledger board uh, directly to the cantilever. Typically, cantilevers are not engineered for this extra weight on there. So the correct way of doing this is like this on our illustration here is tying our uh, ledger across here, making it a beam basically, go, that goes across to uh, doubled up joists on the side here. So this becomes basically a header uh, or beam, a beam or header, either one term, uh, used across here. And so it has no attachment to our uh, cantilever here. And we don't have any weight bearing on this. But um, in our um, another example here, same thing. So <clears throat> they attach the uh, ledger uh, again 
to the cantilever, typically not allowed. Now, in some cases, an engineer might have uh, approved this uh, for you know, a particular model of a house or something in a, uh, in a production area. And okay, fine, they got that approved with the city and stuff. For our purposes, we can't know that. So typically, I'm going to call out that uh, you know, typically, uh, decks cannot be attached to cantilevers. And uh, you know, this question of is it failing or not always comes up. And so I'm looking for evidences of stresses. Don't see it here, uh, but I have seen them in some cases where you can clearly see that the weight of the uh, deck on the ledge on the cantilever is starting to pull down on the cantilever and is, uh, and you know, maybe you have cracked drywall even on the inside of the house, uh, uh, showing some of the stresses uh, from the leverage of the cantilever being pulled down and then trying to lever up on the inside of the house and causing some issues. So, um, you know, this again falls into one of those categories, at least for me, that, okay, not done right. Do I see it causing a problem? Obviously, one of the issues with, uh, with this is that with no load on the deck, maybe it doesn't cause a problem. You know, if you have a, you know, people out here partying on the deck and maybe it starts to cause a problem, big snow loads up here, adding a lot of weight to it, conceivably might. And uh, somebody trying to put a hot tub out on this might also be an issue. So uh, in any event, still done incorrectly they did flash it so give them some kudos for that they uh, put their ledger over here uh, directly to the framing or at least the sheathing underneath so good there so we had a couple of things wrong good over here but wrong with the cantilever attachment so uh yeah go ahead uh, hit me with yeah. some questions here all right, so um, I'm going to infer because there's not a lot of information on this, but when something happens and the ICC code changes and you find something that's, that's functional but not working, would you consider that grandfathered in? Yes, yeah. Okay. Uh, if it was code at any time, and man, so many things in, this, in our business are like this. If it was code in the past, um, then it's grandfathered in. The only exception, and I'm trying to think here on something that would be one of those exceptions, um, it's probably in something in electrical, um, is something that, you know, code thought was okay, and now, oh, we found out that's not safe anymore. Um, the, uh, but, man, I'm having trouble coming up with something that would be an illustration of that. But in general, Yes, uh, things are not required to be brought to current code unless some major work is done to it. So for instance, uh, about uh, seven, eight years ago, I had sufficient wood rot in my own deck that I needed to uh, replace it. And uh, uh, the uh, in replacing it now, it would have to be brought to current code 
for that replacement. So, uh, but just going in and replacing a rotted joist isn't a major replacement. But if you got to, you know, replace the ledger board, that's typically taking the whole deck off. And now the new code, again, depending on, you know, your own, your city, your own city inspectors, but most places are going to say, okay, now we're going to kick in the new code on it since you're doing a major replacement or a remodel to it. Fantastic. Um, and on the image where you showed the deck was not attached to the siding, but they had slid a board between the siding. Um, is that what was considered a freestanding deck? Yeah, that is a freestanding deck. Exactly. Okay. Um, is it acceptable to attach the lag bolts through hard coat stucco? No. No. Never. Easy. All right. Never. Never. Yeah. Never. Never, everyone. Never. Um, Even if you somehow flash it in, you still cannot do that. Okay. Um, and I'm going to again infer a little bit because the question just says, would a bracket under the beam qualify, I'm assuming, as support? Uh, normally not. Uh, I can't think of an example where it would. I mean, there might be some, but it would have to be approved by the city inspector uh, for that would be a non-typical installation and normally that would not be approved. Okay, no way for an inspector to know that either. All right, um, a girder relying on sheer strength, would you recommend additional support? Yeah, they, you know, kind of a band-aid fix, but can work is, you know, just literally maybe adding uh, something like a two by six or two by four to the side underneath it that is uh, multiply attached, you know, using multiple fasteners that are, you know, not drywall screws, something that has some uh, shear strength in it. Uh, under that uh, can sometimes, uh, I've seen city guys allow that uh, for uh, special cases where, you know, not excessive loads and stuff. So there are some, you know, band-aid fixes that can be allowed. Uh, it just depends on the dis discretion of the, uh, you know, city inspector. And guys, you, you know, we all know this. So much of this work is done without anybody ever inspecting it, at least around here. But you know, I talk to inspectors all over the country, Canada, who, you know, it, it, it's not just us. Uh, these things, the decks are put on without any permit or inspection at all. Uh, but um, if uh, inspectors are looking at it, then they'll sometimes make some special allowances for some uh, Band-Aid fixes like that or adjustments like that. Excellent. Um, somebody, Brian says, I keep seeing quarter and three eighths diameter screws being used as ledger connections. Good, bad? Okay. I will go to this right now then. <laughs> it depends. It depends on if it's something that is approved by the manufacturer for that. For instance, right here is a, uh, uh, what is it called? A KBR uh, bolt. And you can see maybe if I hold it up here, right. Mm -hmm. I can little, see it. Little embossments on the uh, end of the uh, bolt and stuff. This is an approved ledger attachment, even though it's, you know, heck, I don't know, three sixteenths of an inch shank on it. Uh, 
but it's, you know, good tensile strength steel and approved for uh, deck attachments. So there are some special attachments for that that can work, uh, you know, versus the, you know, half inch uh, lags. Uh, and by the way, uh, preferred galvanized, but, you know, even steel ones are uh, allowed, but galvanized is the best. And, you know, one way when you're looking at this, you know, when you're just walking around, if, if the head is three quarters of an inch, I think you can see that, then you're looking at a half inch lag, um, you know, bolt, and then you should have a washer under it every time. So like this bolt here has a washer under it, and we'd see washers under these too. So whether it's a bolt or a lag, a head, half inch diameter, um, you're gonna have that three quarter inch uh, hex head on the, on the top of it. Uh, the, uh, or not hex, but uh, six-sided. You see something like that with a, in, in some of our photos we did with that little, you know, three-eighths inch head on, uh, on it, uh, the, uh, you're not looking at a half inch, just simple as that. And typically not approved. An exception to that is something, well, this, screw here is actually approved for attaching uh, joist hangers and, and metal things. It doesn't have the diameter to be a uh, ledger board attachment. And it's hard to see in the photograph there, but you can see some embossments in the middle of it there, which uh, this is, a, I think this is a strong tie uh, brand. And this one is, like I said, approved for uh, joist hangers and things like that, but they have versions of this that are a little bigger uh, that uh, are also approved for ledger board attachments. So you can see some things like that that are manufacturer's approval for it. For us as home inspectors, there's a lot of brands out there and it's hard to know them all. So sometimes you're not quite sure it's truly something approved. And, you know, I think it's okay to write up that, uh, you know, uh, um, unable to confirm that the fasteners used are approved for this use. Um, you know, sometimes I'll take, you know, as good a photograph as I can of the heads and things, and then literally try to, you know, Google it up, so to speak, to see if it's something I can figure out is approved. Along that same line, um, I've mentioned drywall screws. The, um, you know, Man, you see that bugle head on a screw with the uh, uh, Phillips head on it. The, uh, you know, man, there are some of these that may be approved for uh, attachments, usually not ledger board attachments, but some uh, uh, joist hanger attachments or some of the metal brackets attachments and stuff. But most of the time you see that, you know, particularly black uh, ones, you're looking at a drywall screw. I mean, the main drywall screw is your first clue that it's probably not for this use. And um, these are, they don't have any shear strength, but to, they're just not approved for this at all. See that done constantly, these would be wrong. Uh, the, uh, another, uh, I think this is KBR2, uh, another one here, and you can see maybe in the, uh, uh, 
camera there, got some embossments along the edge, and then you um, have the torque uh, screw on it. This one is approved for uh, also attaching joist hangers, uh, screwing down the planks, things like that. Uh, and regarding uh, putting on joist hangers and things, uh, the nail prescriptions are 16 penny nails, but not sinker nails, galvanized 16 penny nails. And you can see they're actually a different length, even, even though the sinker is considered 16 penny, um, but not sinkers because they rust and they're thinner, actual framing 16 penny galvanized nail for that and never the little Tico nails that once upon a time were approved, but no longer. And so these little inch and a half Tico nails not approved for attaching joist hangers at all any longer for that. Uh, so a little bit of a essay, so to speak, on attachments. Any other questions there, Kayla? I do, and they even have to do with attachments. Um, so the first one we'll go to is um, confirming his understanding. A 10-foot joist only needs three half bolts at 34 OC. Yeah, crazy. I know. I, I, you know, when I'm looking at that chart, I'm like, are you kidding me? But that's what it says. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, let's see, the Internachi deck course shows lags or bolts must be two inches from the top edge of the ledger, but only three quarters from the bottom. Did this change to two inches from top and bottom like your slide showed? Uh, I didn't, I honestly, I didn't catch that the Internachi showed that. My understanding is two inches from either edge. So uh, I'd have to double check that. I've always used the two inch rule top and bottom. That's a great question. Yeah. I, I know that you and Lon, you and Ben had been going over some of those things yeah. in the course. And uh, it's interesting to, to see that there's still a lot of difficulty and agreements, even when you're looking at code books, even when you're looking at standards of practice. You know, here's, I like to uh, say that code books are a little like the Bible. They're open to interpretation, and, <laughs> you know, and uh, I've, you know, man, I've, I've, I've seen, you know, literally the city inspectors struggling with it and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so, and one other thing to keep in mind about city, uh, county inspectors, city inspectors and stuff. In fact, I had this happen on a fixer upper I was doing a few years ago where the city inspector, uh, in this case, it was an electrical issue, and uh, the city inspector tells my electrician, yeah, they had the NEC open, and uh, my electrician's got his finger in the book going, see, I did it right. And the city inspector says, yes, you did, but we're going to do it my way. <laughs> mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. knowing what your local uh, inspectors like to see can help you out tremendously on this where if you got a, a local inspector who just basically thinks that the code is going too far on something uh, and they're not calling it out, you know, don't not, in my opinion, I'm just not gonna knock my head against that wall. Um, 
the uh, on the other hand, if I know the city inspector is going beyond code on something, then I know that's what the inspector is going to be looking for when I'm seeing the same thing. And I'm going to adjust my reports, my inspection, according to what I know the local guy or gal is uh, calling out. Um, so, you, you know, under, knowing what's going on with your local inspectors can help you out a lot. And frankly, you know, I've called them up over the years and just had chats with them. And, you know, sometimes they literally go, well, what do you think? And I'm like, well, okay, here's what I think. Uh, but, um, you know, most of the time I'm just learning what, how they're, how they're doing it. And uh, I had one uh, head uh, city guy tell me, uh, it was for a, a suburb here in Denver called uh, Aurora. And he says, you're in Aurora. We like to use common sense when we apply the code. <laughs> you know, <laughs> great, but doesn't make my job any easier. <laughs> so understanding some of that stuff uh, with your local uh, inspectors can really make a big difference in you not getting a lot of phone calls about, you called this out, but the city says it's okay. Um, just... You know, that's my two cents on that little subject. Okay. Um, four more questions, two of which are on nails, but I'll take us back to uh, Joyce. So we have a question that asks, um, for double joist and double header, is there a proper fastening to look for on the construction of the double beams themselves? Well, uh, you know, they don't necessarily... Typically, we see them uh, nailed together with 16-penny nails. Um, the, uh, but really, it's how they're attached on their, uh, on their ends that make the difference. But uh, the, uh, I, I have seen them bolted through. Uh, they're, depending on the load they're carrying, there can be some prescriptions for that. But uh, you know, most of the time, uh, you know, nailed together properly with, like I said, 16 penny nails uh, is uh, considered, and you know, spacing, you know, every, you know, you know two nails every, uh, you know, six to eight inches apart as you go up down the board. Uh, generally, that's the kind of thing that I see inspectors around here wanting to see. Uh, you know, I never, almost like, next to never see a inspector pulling out a tape or counting fasteners and going, okay, this is, uh, yeah, we're, we're barely okay here or something. They generally go, okay, that looks okay. And then move on. And so um, if, if you don't see any attachments to quite the com comment earlier about 34 inches apart on that. Yeah. That one would like, wow. I'm like, that's crazy. That's so different than what we used to do. I don't know. That one just, and the thing is, we don't even know if those are bolts or lags necessarily. Sometimes we might, but we don't always know whether it's a bolt or a lag. So, man, if I see 34 inches apart on a new deck, I'm going to say, you know, let's uh, have a, a contractor uh, confirm that this is uh, actually uh, uh, compliant with uh, uh, our building practices. Because uh, that just seems, that's amazing. That's so different than what we've done traditionally. And about the uh, doubled up headers, you know, if I don't, uh, if I see, you know, three nails in it, I'm going to, ah, you 
know, we, hey, this isn't uh, looking quite right. We need a contractor to come out and do some work on this. Okay. Speaking of lags, um, someone says, I see conflicting info on tension ties versus lags. Is there a general rule on if slash when tension ties are required? Yes, uh, this was not 2021. It was prior to 2021. Uh, was it 2018, I think? Uh, I can't remember exactly. And I'm coming up on that here in a minute. But yeah, they want, uh, they want the deck attached to the house uh, better than just uh, the ledger board lagged into the uh, wall. I don't know if I have that coming up on here or immediately on a, on a, on a uh, yeah, I got some more over the siding uh, slides here. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll be uh, coming up on that here in uh, just a, uh, a few minutes. But, uh, okay. but yeah, uh, there is um, uh, for, you know, what I'm seeing around here, if the deck is, you know, only a couple of feet off the ground, I'm not seeing them require those tensioners. Uh, but boy, if it's, uh, you know, six feet or more off the ground, uh, there I'm seeing them want them on every deck. So, um, but, uh, you know, again, that's one of those things where it looks like, uh, at least around here, uh, individual, uh, city inspectors are, uh, kind of like, eh, you know, if the deck's going to fall only 12 inches to the ground, you know, not as big a deal as, the deck that's uh, six feet or more off the ground is kind of the seems to be a threshold that I'm seeing around here just for whatever that's worth. And then we have, uh, I think we can do these last two questions. Um, someone wants to know what about ledger lock bolts? I assume in terms of the, the bolt conversation that you just had. You know, um, I, I'm not 100% sure I know what you mean, but the um, Again, it's you know kind of what your local uh, uh, inspectors are uh, are approving, but uh, you know generally speaking, those uh, you know would uh, would be fine. I think um, you know it just they're, they tend to be if we're talking about the same thing, they're um, approved by the manufacturers. I think uh, again, if we're talking about the same thing, so mm -hmm. generally, I think those would be allowed. Okay. And then last, somebody wants to know where in the IRC do you find that Tetco nails are no longer approved? Oh, uh, it doesn't. It doesn't say you can't use them. It prescribes it must be a, a three and a half inch nail. Uh, six, you know that's the prescription. Must be a three and a half inch nail, and I'd have to look because, like I say, I'm not a code guy. Uh, but it uh, it doesn't uh, doesn't say you can no longer use Tico's. Uh, it says uh, nails have to be three and a half inches. Okay. Well, um, Joseph, I'm going to message you privately just to see if you have a question so that Lon can, can take, take us on the rest of his presentation. Cool. Cool. So uh, in the uh, illustration here, we have a cantilever attached, uh, can, a deck attached to a cantilever. And uh, sometimes a fix for this is as a kind of added here to the uh, InterNACHI uh, illustration. It's just adding a column underneath that ledger to, uh, you know, attach it properly, bearing properly underneath the ledger there and relieve that load 
from the that the deck might be contributing to the ledger there. So that's uh, you know often a simple uh, fix for that. You know, as home inspectors, we rarely are prescribing what the fix is, but just for your understanding that if you see uh, somebody who's done that, I just added a column under there to the ledger, even though it may be still bolted through to the um, to the uh, cantilever, to the rim joist of the cantilever, or floor band of the cantilever, uh, the, um, uh, they've added now a column that would bear the weight of that deck and, you know, should relieve the uh, extra tension that would be on the cantilever. So back to uh, uh, talking about uh, our ledger must be flashed uh, into the, um, uh, uh, to, the uh, to the siding uh, or whatever we have. Uh, the typically siding in our examples here, or stucco, whatever. And of course, the ledger cannot be on top of the siding. <clears throat> now, I'll have an illustration coming up here. We'll talk about this a little more, so I'll get to it in a second here. So, <clears throat> no, no flashing. Oops, no flashing right here. Oops, you know, this is going to be, uh, you know, a problem because <clears throat> water can get back in there and even if it's not affecting our pressure treated ledger here, it can still be working mischief on the house side, uh, going through the siding and uh, into the framing of the house and causing issues back there. So it's really a big deal to have the deck uh, le uh, flashed, ledger board flashed into the siding above it. Um, so, Here's an example uh, from um, showing attachment to a concrete wall. And in this case, just caulking um, a nice, I mean, a nice caulking bead, a thick bead on the top of the ledger there just to keep water from getting in there and possibly causing some issues with our ledger. And, you know, arguably uh, we're in cold areas, you know, maybe you, you might depending on how the foundation here is, could have a freeze issue with water getting in there, maybe. But uh, uh, just best practice to caulk that if it's attached directly onto a concrete, uh, like a foundation wall or something. Um, here uh, in our uh, example, you can have that ledger board attached over the sheathing here. So if you have half inch plywood, OSB, uh, even jet boards allowed, uh, on, on top of the floor band here or the uh, studs, if it's on, against the stud wall, uh, you can have that, but not on top of our siding. So it can be on that sheathing and then bolted through. Um, and as I said earlier, if it's lags, uh, or bolts, either one, you should, if it's in a place where you can see both sides of it, you should see both ends. Um, obviously, one exception to that would be if uh, they put that ledger against uh, the frame, uh, two by six, or two by fours, two by sixes, uh, the studs, in other words, uh, and lagged into those studs, we wouldn't be um, seeing anything on the inside there. 
duh, but uh, if it's on the floor band, then we should be able to see both sides of that. You know, uh, unfinished basements, uh, some crawl spaces, you can often see whether they uh, lagged or bolted through uh, the, the floor band like they were supposed to there. Um, so it's, as it says here in the 2021, it says it actually allows up to one inch of open space uh, between the floor band and the ledger uh, for the wall sheathing and stuff. And you can even put in stacked washers to give a space there uh, to uh, create that gap if somebody, if they're doing it for drainage or some other reason. So um, they, you can, so that it, it doesn't have to be directly to the framing. You can have that sheathing there or even stacked washers behind there. I've never seen anybody do stacked washers. I've certainly seen it on top of sheathing a lot. So here's those tensioners we were talking about earlier. So this is, um, you know, as I said, arguably for any deck, but around here, uh, it looks like to me, our uh, inspector, our city inspectors are making a bigger deal if it's a deck that if, if it failed, someone could get hurt. If it's only, uh, you know, two feet off the ground, not very likely somebody's going to get much worse than a minor bruise if it fails. So maybe they're not as uh, uh, tough on this. But yeah, they want to see these tensioners. Here's an example, an illustration showing it going, uh, you know, both inside the house over here, then on, on the deck and tying um, usually the, it's usually a joist near the edge of the deck. It could be a, a rim joist on the edge or uh, usually the next joist over. I, uh, those are the typical places that we see it and uh, just basically really secures locks that deck up against the house where that opportunity for it to pull away is like non-existent and in our example here you can see the flashing this is z flashing in this case but underneath our uh, siding here and over the top of the ledger board and uh, then it somehow anyway any water just gets drained over and can't get behind our uh, ledger there in that so and here's what one looks like uh you know added on the uh, rim joist here on the uh, last joist and uh it uh, you know goes completely through uh into the uh, basement in this case and we have that uh, same setup on the other side and they just tighten it up and it does really do a nice job locking it in and not just relying on our little uh you know nail angled nails here or screws to um uh hold our deck on basically so and so they put this on each end of the deck so typically uh you know for unless it was some kind of re really complex deck uh you know Simple deck, even if it's you know twenty feet long, but it's just simple deck on the back of a house. Probably have uh, two of these, one on each end of the deck, holding each end of the deck there. Um, interestingly, uh, and this is one I saw just recently. Uh, this was a uh, permitted deck, and the city inspector signed off on this attachment. 
I hadn't seen this one before, so I literally just added this slide uh, like a week ago to this uh, just to show you something that was different and approved, at least by one of our inspectors here, uh, for doing the same thing. Uh, they just lagged in to the um, floor band on the other side uh, with this lag, just one lag, and then used uh, uh, simple nails here to uh, attach the uh, rest of the uh, bracket here, but this was different, um, you know, and uh, yeah, uh, apparently the crack wasn't an issue. Uh, the uh, little countersunk here on the otherwise approved fasteners, but uh, and apparently the city guy didn't call him out on that either. Uh, so here's an example of a different attachment looks different than certainly the IRC illustrations and other illustrations, but city inspector here said, yeah, that one's okay too. So sometimes you run into these uh, things that are a little different and, um, you know, and occasionally they're going to be okay with uh, your local inspectors. Uh, this was uh, just an illustration showing uh, attachment to a uh, block wall. Uh, still got that bead of caulk. The different thing here is in our illustration uh, here, using uh, an epoxy uh, anchor, you know, filling in back here to anchor our bolts in behind the blocks. There's some other attachments that would be uh, approved too, but um, this is uh, one that's uh, sometimes done. Obviously for us, all we would see is the head here of our half inch uh, lag or bolt or lag really it says bolt there but i probably were talking about a lag going into the epoxy on the inside there um you know um again i don't know at least around here this would be a a rare uh, uh construct or something we rarely see just don't see a lot of decks attached to uh, foundations around here but uh, if you do just a little bit of information on how they, uh, if you do around where you're at, then a little information on how the, these are put together. Uh, ledger strips, um, the, um, you know, uh, don't see this commonly done, but uh, can be done uh, where they attach a board along the bottom edge of the ledger. And then the joist, instead of having to have a joist hanger, can rest on that ledger and be uh, nailed or screwed uh, through. Um, you know, can be toenailed in, but uh, it has to be a you know, bite into the wood nicely to be a, a, a toenail. Um, you know, and it's something like this. Look, there's no ledger or anything there. This is just strictly relying on the end nailing uh, and the sheer strength of those nails or screws to hold it on, there should be a joist hanger here, just simple as that. Um, they did do a nice job putting in their corner uh, post here for the uh, guardrail, uh, lagging it in and stuff. So this is, and this is the new uh, uh, for 2021. This uh, is gonna be something we're gonna see far more commonly um, where it uh, goes the full width of the uh, uh, of the joist and is lagged or, or rather bolted through 
uh, both sides here to really firm up those corner posts. We'll see a little more of that coming up. And again, just showing a, a basic attachment here. You know, typically we see staggered uh, attachments with our uh, lags or bolts. <sighs> nail pops. You know, you, you know, you, you call out nail pops, and we see them all the time. Interestingly, uh, renailing them down almost never works, and also um, putting in screws here instead rarely uh, works uh, that well either. So these can sometimes be uh, hard to truly fix. And putting a lag into the joist hanger here is not a replacement for filling all the nail holes with, uh, or fastener holes with approved fasteners. Uh, and then of course we have our uh, joist is not fully bearing in the joist hanger here, which, you know, you see that one done wrong a lot. Uh, they typically, you know, part of it is, uh, as you guys know, um, a, you know, particularly as you get into larger uh, boards, you know, you get into, you know, two by eights, two by tens, they, uh, um, reliability of them all being exactly the same width or same dimensions is low. So you might have, uh, a two by 10, one that's nine and a half inches thick, and then literally the next one's nine and three eighths or even nine and a quarter. Well, where do you want it flush? On the top or the bottom? Well, we really want it flush on the top. So the top of our deck is nice and flat. So they'll have these gaps in the bottom here. Well, they're supposed to shim that. And most uh, city inspectors want to see a metal shim in there and not a wood shim. Um, the, uh, if I see somebody took wood shims and shoved them in there and they're working, okay, cool, they're working. But typically we do metal shims because they don't compress. Um, so you shouldn't have that gap there. And uh, this, uh, you know, also this bracket or uh, joist hanger here eh, probably isn't the correct size uh, this is an old photo of mine, and I don't remember the dimensions on it, but uh, chances are they should have used the next size up joist hanger, which would have been closer up here. So sometimes you see, uh, you know, two by uh, four joist hangers used uh, uh, to uh, hold or support two by eight joists or two by 10 joists. Well, that's not right. Something you would call out. <clears throat> And look, you see this kind of goofiness. First of all, you, you should have at least certainly no more than an eighth of an inch gap between the uh, uh, button or the end of the uh, joist and the ledger or the rim joist. Uh, but uh, you know, what, you know, this what good did that do? Well, nothing there. So you know, improper nailing here. Got a nail pot there. He used a hole there that wasn't even rated for a nail. He's just sticking something in there. Uh, but uh, yeah, not, uh, can't do that. Uh, that's, not, that's not working. That's not performing. And then um, again, you know, poorly nailed, uh, you know, they, it's bent out here. Uh, just uh, some sloppy work here. Uh, you know, poor, poor workmanship may not uh, be working. 
you know, I make comments on this that, you know, okay, it's not immediately failing, but this is poor workmanship and, and might have trouble in the, in the future. Um, again, some nail pops. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, this one isn't too bad, but, you know, nail pops. So we're still going to call that out. Then, okay, yeah, nice uh, proof fasteners here, except uh, it didn't catch the wood. It just went right in on the edge here. Oops, you know, not too good. Here you can see that uh, half inch uh, lag, top of the half inch lags here. That part looks great. <clears throat> but in our examples here, and not so good in actual workmanship on uh, putting this joist, hanging this joist here. And uh, this screw maybe bit some wood, but this one barely, and that one, for practical purposes, not at all. <clears throat> you cannot screw or nail in to end grain. So not allowed, even three and a half inch, four inch screws, doesn't matter. You can't go into end grain. Now, you know, look, you're only two feet off the ground here, so where's it going to go? But that's not the you know, that's literally not the point. And then they did something else. <clears throat> they took a bracket uh, that uh, was intended for different use and they straightened it out. So they, as it says over here, metal hanger has been bent or hammered to a shape that it was not intended to be. <clears throat> so this violates the manufacturer's instructions because manufacturers never say, oh, you can hammer the bracket to any shape you want. Uh, and so multiple violations here, uh, looks like a likely drywall screw there. Now these screws may be approved for some sort of construction use, uh, but, uh, uh, but you know, the uh, straightening out the bracket, uh, some fasteners may not be, you can't go into the end grain. This screw has come completely through, so it's not doing much. Then we have screws that are bearing the load. These, you know, unless they're uh, rated for this use, and they're, they're probably not rated for this use. They may be deck screws for putting the planks down, but for um, bearing loads, almost certainly they weren't approved. So we got multiple things, do it yourself or build here. And uh, over here, you know, a little goofiness here, but once again, in the end grain, which uh, you, uh, and they bent this uh, bracket off joist hanger here, they bent it straight to uh, accommodate the uh, end grain on the ledger board, which, oh, they didn't flash the ledger board in and it's over the siding, multiple things wrong here. So, uh, you know, many things to uh, call out here. Or you can just simplify it and say, you know, substandard work, poor workmanship, um, you know, may fail because of poor workmanship, something like that. And then you get, you know, just using some brackets that were never intended for this use and you know, almost certainly drywall screws. So a combination of things there. So just uh, wrong, just wrong. Lon, can you use PVC shims? I'm sorry. Can you use PVC? Can you use PVC shims? PVC shims. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never seen that done. Uh, uh, 
you know, probably so. They they wouldn't compress. They they that would probably work. I I got to say, I've never seen anybody do that, but that could work. Yeah, that could work. I would think. Yeah, yeah. Interesting question. Um. So, you cannot attach that ledger board to brick veneer either. So, as you know, brick veneer not load bearing, not structural. Uh, the uh, it's just you know pretty. So and stone veneer, ditto. So once again, you cannot attach ledger boards over the top of brick or stone veneer. Now, if you have a structural brick wall, and certainly you know many older homes uh, will have you know masonry construction, double width uh, bricks that's all structural. Well, that's a different matter, and uh, you know still has to be attached in some approved manner uh, but uh, those can be allowed but if it's veneer oops can't do that one either um, the uh, so so this illustration kind of shows us sort of the whole putting everything together kind of thing <clears throat> the um, so we have our uh, you know wall covering here, we have some sheathing here, we have our flashing between the sheathing and our covering here, and then uh, they uh, maybe has water resistant barrier, this yellow here is maybe our uh, WRB or some sort of underlayment that is also over the top of the flashing, so you might see that, and so we have the flashing coming over our uh, ledger here, um, and then we also have in this example flashing on the bottom edge of the ledger. Now you guys may have noticed in none of my photos do I show ledger uh, flashing under the ledger. As far as it's certainly around here, but as, that is as far as I can tell, just about anywhere, that is not a requirement. That would certainly be a best practice. Uh, kind of thing that you know is a little extra, but typically not required. So good practice, uh, but not a requirement to have that bottom piece of flashing. I mean, the obvious reason is if you got the water diverted up here and over the top, then you just shouldn't be getting water down in this little, you know, few inches of ledger here that needs to be diverted out. So. Typically, under most circumstances, this piece of flashing here is not going to be a requirement, but certainly would be a best practice if it had it. So flashing. Now, a lot of our examples show Z flashing. I almost never see Z flashing. I think for the obvious reason that it's hard to get it to sit on top of the joists uh, well. So I typically see L flashing. And uh, so here we have a good example of L flashing here uh, uh, on the uh, ledger, which is uh, attached to the framing. Uh, bolts on top and bottom are more than two inches from the edge. I mean, this is uh, you know, pretty good here. Uh, this one's an interesting one. Here we have roofing felt that they used for flashing. And you know, Typically, this would not be an approved use. 
the backstory on this one is that uh, they had a dog that was peeing on the house wall up here and the acidity in the dog's urine had dissolved the flashing. So when they did a deck repair, they had this bright idea of using roofing felt that the dog's urine wouldn't attack and do that instead, which, uh, yeah, clever, but no. You know, you could, they could have done the flashing and then maybe the felt on top of the flashing or, uh, you know, maybe uh, something like Tyvek or something on top of that flashing to protect it from the urine, but they still needed the metal flashing here. So this was not uh, an approved, or, or normally, I don't think a city inspector would have ever approved this they uh, is just being the only flashing uh, over the uh, ledger board there, but kind of a funny backstory on it to me. Uh, get past that. Uh, so, um, talking about cantilevers on decks. So, um, you know, the math on this is uh, uh, the uh, this length of, of four times the link, uh, one, one fourth the link here, basically. So let's say we have a two by 12 joist, then the cantilever could go out 36 inches, one quarter of the length by three times the width of the 12 inch joist. So, um, you know, we're not required to do this math. You know, typically you don't see uh, bad cantilevers because uh, of that. Now this is going back the old way. Under the new 2021 uh, IRC, that L4, that 1/4 of the length of the uh, overall joist um, is uh, not the, uh, the requirement. It has a, a, literally a, a graph or a chart on that. Um, another example of that, here's the chart showing how to do that. So now under 2021, they actually give us a chart to do it so you don't have to figure out any uh, math. Although in this particular example here, the old L4 rule still works. But uh, so assuming you have a Bruce, uh, a spruce uh, uh, joist, uh, <clears throat> two by 10 in our example, uh, 16 inch spacing, um, the, uh, uh, we'll do our math here. So we have, Let's be conservative, round down from 13 uh, feet, seven inches to 12 feet. So that's the overall length of the joist here. So we have a 12 foot joist. The maximum cantilever is three feet. So it's still the same, it's still the same L4 rule. So, you know, 36 inches, pretty big cantilever for uh, most uh, uh, decks. And, uh, you know, you see that it kind of, you know, unless, you know, you, Two by 12s, generally you're going to say, yeah, we're okay. Um, you see something goofy like this, it just jumps at you. Like, oh, no. Uh, four or five feet, way too far. Wrong. Cool with the I beam there. Uh, but uh, nope, nope, way too much. Big call out, you know, wrong. Interesting do it yourself for work there. Um, so, <clears throat> decks greater than six feet above the grade need to have diagonal bracing. Uh, you know, um, 
typically if you walk on the deck and it shimmies like some jelly then oh you know you need bracing uh but if it's more than six feet off the grade it's still supposed to have some bracing here uh whether regardless of how the deck feels so to speak and also should have a diagonal brace going across there to help stabilize it too um, so a couple of things there that we would uh, look for in a uh, best you know in a well-built deck is having a little some cross bracing on our joists uh, to our rim joists to our uh, uh, columns and then this diagonal brace across there that uh, stabilizes the deck also. Um, then uh, just one of those little inspector uh, tricks that you know, some, some will do to make sure the bolt is actually tight. You know, you tap on it with a hammer and you get that solid ring um, telling you it's all solid, uh, connected and tight. If you get that kind of dull, uh, sort of almost a thud, then it tells you it's loose. Um, so it's kind of a little quick clue to tell how tight the fasteners are. And of course, oops, no washer there. It's wrong. It's got to have a washer on it. Got to be flush on the surface of the uh, board, uh, the ledger in this case. Um, the, uh, you know, so, yeah, oops, wrong. Looks like they may have used some screws that were approved for this use here, but wrong here on the ledger attachment. And it uh, doesn't look like much flashing there either. Whoops, there, here we go. Um, then cracking. You know, most cracks, frankly, aren't that big a deal. Uh, you know, um, they, uh, they just don't seriously affect the overall strength of the board. But occasionally, like this uh, stringer here on this uh, stairs, this stringer's coming apart. And the interesting thing is this was also pressure treated lumber. Uh, it um, did not, it just simply did not hold up. And this uh, stringer here is coming apart. So you see this kind of cracking, oops, we got an issue. Uh, the uh, but some cracking like this almost never is a call out. Are there complaints with maybe some nail pops and things and maybe the wrong kind of bracket used here? Uh, <clears throat> but uh, the, uh, but the, um, uh, the big issue here would be the nail pops and not the cracks. Um, <clears throat> so again, typical crack. Another typical crack, just rarely going to be a big issue. Um, yeah, just rarely. Now, if we see them, sometimes you'll get a board where the grain doesn't run completely through the board and the grain will cut to the edge and the cracks will follow that grain to the edge. Now that can be an issue. I don't think I have a photograph of that, but I've seen it on some, a few on rare occasions and it's typically just one joist or on a, you know, a deck or a floor framing or something where <clears throat> however the board was cut from the tree, the grain is running to the edge of the board instead of going straight through the length of the board. 
and we've had a split crack follow that grain to the edge and create a fairly weak or almost like it's a cut board going through. So something like that would be something you'd be more prone to calling out than these type of just horizontal cracks here that even if they're going through, typically aren't going to be a big issue. So guardrails and uh, supports. Obviously, the other part of the deck that's important is uh, the guardrail. Uh, we don't want uh, you know people with their uh, fourth beer uh, leaning against the uh, guardrail too uh, too heavily and uh, getting a, you know, a a bruise on their noggin as they go over. So minimum height thirty six inches off the top of the deck, uh, and um, so this one shows. Uh, the illustration here shows the guardrail supported strictly with balusters, uh, sometimes called spindles, both terms are used. Uh, the, uh, the guardrails should have a four by four post minimum, four by four, every six feet to uh, secure it, give it some lateral strength. Commercial code, by the way, is 42 inches for uh, commercial buildings. Uh, but for residential, 36 inch minimum height. So here is the new um, part of the new code for uh, attaching the uh, a corner column, uh, co corner post or column uh, of the guardrail. The only thing that's kind of wrong with this one is uh, that um, column, the bottom of it should be flush with the uh, joist or the uh, uh, ledger here in the bottom of the joist. So under true 2021 guidelines, this would technically be wrong because it's not flush with the bottom of the joist here, but um, this would otherwise be a very good attachment pre-2021 here. So it's uh, trying to, as best as they can, have that continuous load path and so, yeah, they're relying on half inch lags here, for, uh, but tremendous shear strength on these, so it works. But they like a little more bearing on this for the, um, uh, the leverage effect of pushing on that, uh, that guardrail. If you have this uh, corner column coming all the way through here, it leverages better or distributes that leverage pressure, fulcrum pressure, uh, more over this space uh, or better over this space than when it's uh, a couple inches short. Uh, so another way to attach it is with a proved bracket lagged or rather bolted through the, uh, so this would be like not on a true, necessarily always on a, on a corner, but like out in the span of the deck, you uh, have that you know six feet away from the corner, for instance. You have your four by four column there that's uh, supporting the uh, guardrail up here and giving it that lateral strength. And so we're using approved brackets that both uh, uh, fasten into the joist and then uh, bolt through our, our rim joist and through our column here to really secure this column into the framing 
of both the um, uh, rim joist and the joist here to give it tremendous lateral strength here when it's pushed. So that leverage, that guardrail should resist 200 pounds of force down or out and down. So pushing down and out. The old pre-2021 code was resist 200 pounds of push in any direction. So if you're pulling or pushing on it, it had to have uh, be relatively stable with 200 pounds of push. But the code, using a little common sense, goes, we're not too worried about somebody falling backwards onto the deck. We don't want them to fall forwards off of a 10-foot deck. So now they changed that to resist 200 pounds of outward push on that. Now, look, for us as home inspectors, uh, you know, how do you get 200 pounds of push? You know, I'm like, what, 165, 70 pounds, you know, kind of thing. You know, I'm going to grab hold of that guardrail and I'm just going to give it a good hard sh shove. If it feels solid, I'm good. If I feel like, oh, crap, I might go through this if I hit it a little harder. Now I'm not good. Now I'm going to call it out. So it's just a matter of uh, a little subjectivity for us as home inspectors, rather than trying to put some sort of actual measurement pulley system or something on there that would actually truly exert 200 pounds of pressure. Um, but you can kind of appreciate that, that on a 36 inch guardrail, putting 200 pounds of force on the top of that rail at the fulcrum point at the bottom, that's a hundred, uh, uh, 1,700 pounds of force down there on the bottom. So through the, you know, the magic of, of uh, leverage, uh, you have tremendous force down there on the bottom of that uh, guardrail. And so this attachment at the bottom is really a big deal on any deck. And, you know, so often you grab that guardrail and you see the whole rim joist just rolling with the guardrail. And yeah, okay, it's resisting 200 pounds of, prep, of force there and stuff, but it, you know, still could use uh, something like these brackets to firm it up and make it uh, much more stable and get some of that, uh, you know, sloppiness out of it. It's a subjective call in my opinion. You know, if you feel secure pushing on it, I'm not gonna call it out. If I feel like I might, yeah, this one might uh, be something I could go through, now I'm gonna call it out. Um, that's uh, kind of the way I treat that. Uh, interesting little thing, top of the uh, balusters here need to be beveled so that rain will run off of them. If they're flat, then rain can sit up in here uh, whip down into the end grain and possibly promote wood rot down there in the uh, top of that uh, baluster. So we want to see angles, cuts on the top that will drain water off. This illustration here, ignore this part over here, that's not right. Um, about 30, top of the guardrail being 36 inches above the pitch. So ignore that part. The part of this illustration that I want to use here is this part down here. So one of the rules, the top of the deck 
if it's 36 inches above the grade within, uh, I mean, if it's 30, I said that wrong. If it's 30 inches from the top of the deck to the grade, 30 inches, three zero, from the top of the deck to the grade within 36 inches of the edge of the deck, we need a guardrail. So on a slope like this, if 36 inches, three feet away from the deck were greater than 30 inches to the edge of the grade here, then must have a guardrail. So this is one of these things, and this is true for porches. I was just uh, uh, early, like Monday of this week, uh, I was on a porch where this rule kicked in on the end of the porch because um, we were uh, we were only about you know, 20 inches right here. But by the time it got out 36 inches, it was actually over 30 inches. It was like 32 inches out here. And so the end of that porch needed a guardrail added to it. Um, the, uh, so just one of these little things that, uh, you know, you kind of look for when you uh, see a deck that's off the ground a uh, fair distance and you start to go, oh, Okay, uh, right here, I'm 24 inches, so no problem, uh, at least under code guidelines. But as I get 36 inches away, now I'm greater than, uh, I'm 30 or greater from the, uh, from the top of the deck. And uh, now that kicks in the rule that we need a guardrail here. So a little something to look forward to. One last thing, not last thing, but one more thing with the 2021 code change is no longer can four by fours be notched at all. They can't be notched, period. Uh, so this used to be acceptable, no longer acceptable. So we're talking about grandfathering earlier. You see this on older decks constantly. So for us as inspectors, is it secure? I grab that guardrail, if it's secure, even though it's a notched four by four uh, column or a post, I'm cool, I'm good, I'm moving on. If it's sloppy, doesn't feel safe, now we got a problem, now we call it out. Interestingly, that four by four can be turned, you know, uh, you know it could be, uh, you know, have some, uh, fluting on it or something uh, and uh, possibly um, and if this again local inspector approved that it could still be approved but for a standard four by four column no notching full three and a half inches or three and a half inches on, around it new code for any new decks you see and then uh, you all know about the uh, spacing on anything built in the last uh, you know, 15, 16 years. Uh, the, uh, can't remember the exact code change, uh, a four inch gap, no more than a four inch gap between the balusters. Um, you know, you know, I don't, you can buy spheres for doing this, but uh, most of us will just put our tape on it or use your fist if you know you you measure the width of your fist if that works for you. Um, four inch bouncer, 
Same here off the bottom, four inch, no more than a four inch uh, gap there on that. Um, this has become really popular, horizontal balusters uh, and often steel cables used for doing this. And city inspectors are signing off on it. Look at the city inspector signing off on it. Great, but what a crummy idea because kids and you know silly adults can certainly climb over these now. So this is a climbable situation, which normally would have not been approved uh, in the past, but uh, local. this is a place where local inspectors, at least certainly around here, but I, I'm hearing it from other inspectors around the country. So I'm thinking it's probably gonna be true for you in New York and most of your places in New York that uh, your local inspectors are gonna let them do this because people want it, they love the look, they like these horizontal uh, balusters uh, and or cables or whatever they're doing there, and uh, they're going to allow it. So I don't. Uh, I make a note that uh, guardrail is climbable and move on. You know, made a note that it was observable. My client asked me about it and say, "Well, you know, your uh, four-year-old kid can climb right over that guardrail." Oh, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Uh, yep. But, uh, you know, people like it. Little thing, this is from the NADRA uh, deck evaluation. We're talking about, we're talking about the, the Tico nails. <clears throat> um, here's straight out of the, this is their illustrations actually, the NADRA um, illustrations. Um, that short nails, not allowed for uses must be fully uh, 16 penny nails for attachments. Uh, on our handrails going upstairs, uh, we want that height 34 to 38 inches. You know, you see this, you know, yeah, from part of the way off the nosing of the stair, of the step, by the way. So it's off the nosing of the step. Um, measurement, when you measure it. But, you know, part of it will be 40 inches, part of it will be 32, and then some of it's right. Well, that's it's wrong. You call it out. Um, the 34 to 38 inches height is the proper height. Um, the uh, So just uh, one of those things that uh, in ramps longer than six feet have to have handrails too. And by the way, a handrail is required on uh, five or more risers. Here's the riser, one, two, three, four, five. So this one would require, if we had a fifth here, would require a handrail or four, not required if this was the wall here, it wouldn't be required. Um, our, uh, just a little thing about uh, the decking, uh, you know, this is one of those little rules that, you know, may not be on the top of your head. And it, you know, it's eight inches past that last uh, uh, girder beam here, uh, you know, not the end of the world, but nevertheless, that maximum end there, you know, say butting up to a chimney here or going around a chimney here. So they didn't run their uh, <clears throat> rim joist right to the edge. 
So we have a little bit of uh, decking overhang here. So six inches is the maximum typically uh, for that uh, overhang. You know, if they did further, if it's solid, good. If it's not, you're gonna call it out, simple as that. Uh, but in my opinion, and then of course half inch lags and stuff. Um, should have an eighth inch gap. You know, the requirement for this rule, I'm not sure what the reasoning is. Back when I was in construction, doing decks and things, my boss told me it was so, you know, we want no more than an eighth of an inch here because women wearing high heels with the heel only a quarter inch wide could slip through the plank on wider gap. I doubt that that has anything to do with the rule, but it just sort of tells you something about, you know, you know, some of the thinking in the past. In any event, eighth inch gap is what we like to see here. We want some gap for water and debris to fall through, but not so wide that, um, you know, things, other things could go through it, I guess, like a woman wearing high heel shoes, uh, you know, having her shoe go through or something, maybe, you know. Uh, I think the argument there that you saw about puddles forming makes more sense. Um, that planking should be staggered. You shouldn't have the joint, the butt joints in a straight line. It creates weak, weak places, or rather it strengthens the deck when our, our planks, the butt joints don't, uh, they break on different joists. So we don't want that same break on the same joist in a straight line. It's just stronger makes the deck more solid if they break at different places on there. Um, so, um, you know, in our example here, it should span at least, a, a plank should span at least four joists and it shouldn't be just across two. So in our example here, this would be a bad, both of these would be bad practice. We want preferably one, two, three, four joists to be spanned by our planes. Uh, carpet, you know, holds water, can degrade the wood. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll write up that I can't see the condition of the planking because it's got carpet on the deck. Now, you know, if the carpet's loose, you can pick it up and see what's going on. But if they use indoor or outdoor carpet that's glued down or something, it's just stuck down. You don't know, but if you can see underneath over and over, high likelihood you're going to see a problem underneath because moisture being trapped by the carpet. And then no nails or screw pops. They used a nice deck uh, screw here to put the planks down, but you got big dogs and the, this is in front of the uh, uh, slider into the uh, uh, bedroom. So apparently let their dog, they let their dogs come and go from that bedroom through here. And the dogs have worn down the wood uh, right there, creating effectively a nail pop. So that's something that someone could snag their, uh, you know, if they come out barefoot or something, or depending on what they're wearing, could snag on that, call it out. Whatever the reason for a nail pop or screw pop, doesn't matter whether the wood has been worn down past it, like in this case, by years of dogs running on it, or just the nail working its way up, call it out, no nail or screw pops. And another one, so on the stringers, this is the throat, 
right here. That is a five inch minimum width for that. It can be overcome by doubling up stringers with a thinner uh, throat, but that is uh, kind of an engineering decision. So in general, for our purposes, we're looking for at least five inches here. I don't see this one violated a lot, but boy, it jumps at you when you see it. And so I've certainly written it up over the years several times. And that, again, they took a bracket and bent it to a uh, use that it was not designed for. And so this bracket was not intended to secure the stringer to our uh, rim joist here. And they just made it, made one work that wasn't designed for this and uh, used those don't look like approved screws there either. And they didn't fill all the uh, available screw holes or nail holes. So multiple things here not done right. Um, you know, we got five minutes left uh, and we're near the end of this anyway. Um, the, uh, uh, you want to, Kayla, are you here? Yes, I am here. Any questions at the end here? Um, I, I did walk away to feed, I did walk away to feed the animals. Um, I just want to confirm that we talked about how the stairs are attached to the deck. Yes. Okay. Then there are no questions. Cool. Cool. Well, uh, you know, um, the, uh, you know, we've kind of covered, I mean, I got a few more things here, but we de definitely covered the, just about all of it. Uh, the, uh, uh, you know, you can use some cleats to attach uh, treads, or you can uh, 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 put them into the stringers, put them on top like this. But once again, you um, uh, shouldn't have more than a four inch gap here too for silly babies crawling through. There's some other rules like that. Uh, minimum tread depth, this width here should be 10 inches. And riser height is a maximum seven and three quarter inches. And this is true for stairs anywhere with no more than a three eighths inch variance between the steps because that creates a trip hazard. Keep in mind, this will be the last thing I say. Um, this is true for stairs anyway. When we pick our foot up for that first step, our brain immediately programs our next foot for the next step thinking it's the same height. If we have more than a 3 8 inch variance in the height of those steps, it becomes a trip hazard. And so I'm not measuring steps to get that uh, example, but when I'm going up some stairs and I trip on a tread, I'll stop instantly and go, okay, normally I don't do that. And I'll pull out my tape and check it. And most of the time, I'm going to have a variance of more than three-eighths of an inch, and it created that trip hazard. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I will wrap it up with you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I have one thing, Lon. Um, where would someone want to look to know what a good stair connection would be? It seems like you showed a lot of good examples of bad. Um, is that, should they, should they talk to their local code? Should they go to the um, IRC code book? Yeah, the, the IRC gives a couple of examples of things, but the most common good way of doing it is getting metal banding 
uh, you know, typically uh, at least a 16th of an inch uh, metal banding. And uh, so it's an inch and a half wide, 16th of an inch or, or so thick, and it comes in rolls to, or you can buy them in strips too. And, uh, you know, and it's already perforated, so it already has screw holes in it. And, uh, uh, you know, secures to the, um, uh, uh, the floor band or uh, the deck uh, and to the uh, uh, ledge, uh, to the stringer. And, you know, man, I've seen these like two feet long where they run them down the bottom of the stringer or something. That is the best attachment that I see done and simple and easy and applies to so many decks. I mean, it's, uh, it's one that will work very commonly for uh, decks. I do find that joist uh, hangers are not made for that uh, as a rule because they have a square bottom. And so you got that stringer sitting there at an angle with this square, uh, with the, the bottom that's not of uh, the joist hanger that's not angled for that. And so you'll see joist hangers, they try to make a joist hanger work for that and it just never works right. But using that metal band that just straps the two together works great uh, typically and is uh, at least certainly around here is always approved. Okay, well, that is, I think, the end of the questions. We're getting a number of people thanking you and I for our time. Thank you all for being here. Um, InterNACHI would be nothing without its members. And really, frankly, our members told us that you wanted New York CE. And so that's what Nick and Ben gave me as my mission. So I'm really glad <laughs> that we have started this. Yes, we do intend on having more um, webinars new york state approved as many states as we can have there's some funny rules right now um, as we transition out of the pandemic into uh, whatever the new normal is uh, but we will be doing more of these i don't have a next date for y'all but if you uh, just watch you know nachi.org webinars they're always posted there that's where you can register um, and very very important last thing before we go um, if you are here because you want New York State credit, I have to know what your name is and your license number. I'm going to once again put my number in the chat as well as my email and I will tell everyone here in case you want to write it down because I know um, some people are more comfortable that way. But please, please, please in the next, you know, as soon as you can tonight, but at the very latest tomorrow, um, text me at 303 367-2283 or email me at my name, Kayla, K-A-E-L-A at internachi.org. Give me your name that's on your license and your number and I will make sure you get credits. If you do not get a confirmation text or email from me, follow up. I have to submit these within 15 days of today. My goal is 72 hours and I think that's very achievable. Um, but you should hear back that I have seen your license number and name. If you haven't seen that, reach out again. If you forget tomorrow what my number is or my email, it doesn't matter. Call our main line at InterNACHI, you can get to me. Um, but I think with that, I just, the last thing I wanna say is Lon, thank you so, so much for sharing your experience with us. I, I'm going to give myself the CE credits on my international dashboard because I learned a lot 
Um, and I'm going to go out and uh, look at my deck, which which I encourage all of us to go do, especially with it fresh in our mind. Um, you know, you're going to see a lot of examples of things that you didn't see here, but hopefully you'll be able to go, that doesn't feel right. It doesn't pass the sniff test and think about how you'd write up your own deck. Um, no pressure. So, all right. Well, thank you, everybody. I'm already getting more texts. Keep them coming. And otherwise, have a great evening. I will see you at the next round. Cool. Thank you. Bye, everybody.